the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are back in Acts chapter 21 today, verses 16 through 36, here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. We welcome you to our broadcast and ask you to join us as we continue our look at Paul heading back to Jerusalem in honor of the gospel. And even though he receives word time after time, God divine word that he would be chained and imprisoned, he still goes anyway. What does that say about his resolute desire to honor the gospel? Well, that's what we're looking at here on this edition of Way of Grace. Welcome to the program. Join us. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand and today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Acts chapter 21, it is directly uh, connected to where we were in last week's study, um, dealing with the opening of uh, Acts chapter 21. Remember, our study was in honor of the gospel, in honor of the gospel to Jerusalem. The emphasis was uh, the apostles' sort of relentless pursuit of making it to Jerusalem a grander paradigm of where the believer is headed, where the child of God is headed ultimately in his walk. One day we will be, in all reality, full-fledged citizens of the new Jerusalem, enjoying the bliss of God's redemption in Christ for us at levels we can't even describe now. That's the promise of God for us. And with the Apostle Paul, what you see him doing is heading to Jerusalem in order to accomplish two goals. One is to help the poor saints at Jerusalem on a financial level. So he has been gathering funds from the gospel churches in Asia Minor, the Gentile churches, largely some Jewish churches. But he's headed back to Jerusalem to give them a gift a financial gift. That's the context of the book of Romans. If you know Romans well, Paul has encouraged the Romans to understand that this objective of bringing the gift to Jerusalem is in order that that native nucleus of believers who were the means by which the gospel spread into all the world might be blessed materially because of the spiritual blessing that came through that nucleus to the Gentiles. So Paul said it in Romans 11. He says, it is a small thing that um, you should be called upon to give material money to the church in Jerusalem since they were that nucleus by which Christ came. And then the apostles and thus the gospel has come to the far regions of the world and has saved you. So that's the first reason for which Paul is headed to Jerusalem. By way of application then, every person of grace is on a mission, and wherever God is calling you to go, you do not go empty-handed. Every child of God, called by God's grace, is on a mission, 
And wherever God is calling you to go, you do not go empty handed. We've talked about this principle before and we'll lay it down more fully tonight. Children of grace are honored with resources of grace so that no matter where they go, they're not taking their giving. They're not taking their giving. And we've talked about this with the preacher of the gospel as well. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through four, the apostle Paul said, we did not come to you by way of an attitude or a gesture of covetousness, but we came giving unto you the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. So gospel ministry is really about giving Gospel ministry is about giving and to infer from that giving concept. What that means is God has given something unto you in order that you might give to others. Right. You guys got that. So I want to actually nail this down in another way. When you are a part of the kingdom of God by an authentic faith in Christ, you are a gifted child of God. When you're born again, when you're part of the kingdom of God, by faith in Christ, you are a gifted child of God. So I'm using these terms gifted as a foundation for where we're headed so that you can understand what we're going to deal with, what I call four tensions that basically frame the conflict that Paul is about to deal with. Four tensions. But a child of God, when you are truly born again, God has supplied you with every grace necessary to do whatever God wants you to do. Do you believe that? He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He has given us a supply of his spirit to meet every need at every time in any circumstance. Now, I know you buy that propositionally, but on a practical level, that's hard to believe. When you get into a situation, do you think in terms of there is a resource in God's bounty of blessing that can meet this need? Or do you immediately default to, I don't have what is necessary to address this problem? You hear what I'm getting at? So I'm saying sometimes what the child of God does, while he is called a prince, he walks like a pauper. While he's called a king, he walks like a slave, a beggar, a poverty-stricken individual. And it's a mindset. It's the way we think. And this is part of the reason why we at Grace are walking in a New Year's theme around honor. Honor in many different areas of our lives. One of them should be honoring our mind. Because as a man think, thinketh in his heart, what? Right. If we, if we understand what Solomon said there, it simply means at the core of your being, how you think is how you really are. Not at the superficial level of your mind. Do you know you can think different thoughts at the same time? David says we can have a double heart. David says we can be double-minded. James said we can be double-minded. In other words, in the superficial forefront of our, 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 our mind, we can think and say things that would comport with Scripture. But in the true essence of our thinking, we can actually negate that by an attitude that is really rooted in unbelief. Am I making some sense? All right, so I want you to begin to wrestle with that over the course of this new year as you learn how to walk in honor. Like, there are some people who are really poverty-stricken when it comes to speaking in a way that honors God because they are so used to a pattern of negativity, of, of defective thinking, of defective speaking, of of. Speaking from a place of being poverty stricken, what did we learn about honor? Honor is a place of what? Strength. 
What do we learn about dishonor? Dishonor is an evidence of weakness. That generally when people are speaking from a skeptical, negative perspective, it's because they are empty when it comes to the supply of grace that would allow them from a position of optimism, which you guys learned this last year in our rules of engagement class, optimistic faith has the ability to draw from God what is needed for you to not only think right, but talk right and act right. And in fact, what I'm talking about now is critical for you and I to practice every day. Remember what Romans chapter 12 said, that we must be transformed by the renewing of our what? Right. So that exercise is a daily exercise that we engage in by faith because we want to realize the grace of God in our life. And also what that means is by um, inference, I am naturally negative. I am naturally unbelieving. I am naturally walking in a deficit. I am naturally blinded. I am naturally empty. I am naturally dark. I am naturally skeptical. I am naturally unable to actually move in a direction of walking by faith apart from the grace of God. Am I telling the truth? Right. So don't think that when you are called upon to move in a direction of obedience by faith that you're doing it in a vacuum. No, you're doing it against a headwind. And that headwind is first and foremost your own nature. That's why the walk of faith is so hard. Am I making some sense? This is why Paul is for us in our study today such an amazing creature. Because the turnaround in his life, you guys know the term turnaround? The turnaround in Paul's life was so radical and so quick that it blew everybody away. In other words, if anyone had a reason to excuse himself from not being able to actually walk in the optimistic positivism of the gospel, it would have been Paul because of how steeped he was in legalism, self-righteousness, Phariseeism, and Judaism. That brother turned around so quick and flipped the script and started moving into a more assertive approach to the gospel than even the apostles. You guys got that? Which means Paul knew something about conversion, radical conversion, that we need to take heed to. So today, as we move into uh, our consideration of the latter part of Acts chapter 21, verses 16 through 36, I want us to recognize that Paul has already committed himself against that headwind. Remember, we talked about that last week. The headwind of opposition in Jerusalem coming against him. And he had three groups of people prophesying to him. Do you guys remember that? And we talked about how those three groups of people prophesied to him in a qualitative prophetic form that simply informed him, but did not give him a mandate or an imperative. So he still went through all of those warnings and charitable um, urgings not to go. And here he is now in Jerusalem. Now we got to deal with what's going on in Jerusalem contextually. We know that Paul was given mandate to go to Jerusalem, wasn't he? He was told to go. So he's here now. And so our context opens up uh, with a number of verses that I think I want to flesh out. Then I want to share with you four uh, tensions that will allow us to begin to work through our narrative. So I'm going to start at verse 16. And if you have your Bibles there, let me read on through. This is going to be a fairly long narrative, not too long, but long enough for us to get some context. Because once, once we work through our three points, I don't want to have to go back through these verses much more. 
Verse 14 actually says, when we would have persuaded him, we see saying the will of the Lord be done. Everybody says, okay, Paul, if you want to go. All right. We, we pray that God's will be done. Well, God's will is going to be done. That, that was not a question. They, they didn't know. Now they know that Paul did not avert. Paul stayed course. And now we simply acquiesce. Right. We don't hog tie anybody. We don't strap them down. We don't force them to do our will. It has to be volitional on their part. Right. And after those days, we took up our carriage. Now, see the term carriage there? That simply means our baggage. All right. Just in case you don't know. After those days, we took up our baggage and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea and brought with them one Manasian of Cyprus, an old disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren, what? Received us gladly. So we're in Jerusalem now. Here we are. X marks the what? We're there now. Let's watch the drum unfold because we want to learn the lessons of being in Jerusalem uh, as Paul is here now. 18. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought by him among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are, which what? And they are all zealous of the what? And they are informed of thee that you teach all Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that you are come. Do therefore this that we say unto thee. We have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their head. And all may know that thou, those things whereby you, we were informed concerning you are nothing. But that you yourself also walkest orderly and keep the law. As touching the Gentiles which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such things save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. You guys remember the first Jerusalem council in Acts 15 where this was concluded about the Gentiles. You guys remember that? Let's keep going. Then Paul took up the men and the next day purifying himself with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. There it is. The prophecy is starting to be fulfilled. Remember, they are going to what? Bind you. So we begin to see the stirrings. Verse 28 through 33. Crying out, men of Israel, help This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before him within the city, seen before with him in the city, Trifimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the citizens were moved All the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. Do you see the vision? They rushed in and got him like he was a plague and rushed and brought him out of the temple and shut the doors as if it were to stop a plague. 
Now we're going to go back and talk about why the whole of their actions were dishonorable. But I just want you to walk through this text with me so that you can see how erroneous religious folk can be when they don't think a thing through carefully. It goes on to say, in verse 32, uh, verse, 30, uh, verse 31, and as they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that uh, all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. They were beating that brother. Not only did they capture him, they were punishing him as if he were guilty of something for which they had not yet even went through a process of examination to determine whether the things they were saying was true. You guys see that? Very interesting how um, the historical context is demonstrating the fervor of people against Paul when they haven't even done the righteous thing of taking him to the court system. What you need to see in this is how irrational and how wicked religion can be when it is Christless. You need to know that because uh, you might think that this is absurd in terms of the way they behaved, but take this up as a principle and you can see its application in people's lives who are undisciplined in their thinking, who jump to conclusions, who draw judgments, and then hastily, as we talked about in the James study, becomes judge and jury and prosecutor too. And so then begin to apply punishment to people because they just presume they're right. Am I making some sense? So you get to go, have I ever done that? Right, so let's keep going. Because what you're going to see today is that there is a distinct difference between a child of grace and a child of works between a child who knows God in Christ and religious people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. You're going to see distinct character differences and behavior patterns that you want to be able to mark because you will see them in yourselves. And you want to grow up out of that kind of thinking and acting because it's detrimental to your home. Some of us could immediately apply this principally as parents to our children when we don't honor our children at the level of the Imago Day and their developmental processes and all the contextual things that go into a situation where we presume that they were wrong and go to beating them verbally, go to beating them rhetorically. Am I making some sense? Right. Now, they're children of grace and we're legalists at that time. You guys got that? Right, so it's important to be able to extract these applications because of the larger principle we're about to talk about. Let me see if I can close here with verse 33 um, and, uh, and establish my point. Then the chief captain came near and took him, that is Paul, and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. So what you have in verse 33 is the deliverance. Verse 33 is the deliverance. He has been delivered from the beast by secular authorities binding him and removing him away from beast two. Beast two is religion. Beast one is politics. 
Beast one has delivered him from beast two. Raise your hand if you guys are following with me. So you guys should know this stuff after many years. Beast two will act irrationally, illegally, unjustly, unprincipally when they think that they have a cause. And whoever is in the clutches of beast two can only be delivered by beast one. So beast one is the Roman authority, the Roman government that's going to take Paul and deliver him from the Jews because Paul not only has to go to Jerusalem, but Paul has to go where? To Rome. So here we are at the foundation and context of the apologetic, the uh, apologia of Paul. Paul is beginning now to be drawn to the judgment seat of Jerusalem, and he will be there twice, and then he will head to Rome. Three times he will have to defend the reason for which he is in chains. This is the concept of apologetics that we have talked about before, defending the faith, giving an answer of the hope of the calling that is in you with meekness and fear. We don't have the context that the early church did, but we still have the calling. There's a time when you have to actually defend the gospel. So what you're going to see with Paul is him defending the gospel in the mouth of the lions, in the mouth of the lions, and there are a lot of lessons for us to derive. So let me start by saying four things, make four observations about our context, and then we'll start with our points and work our way through them. There are four things going on here, four tensions that if you were trekking with Paul since his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and the different people that he engaged in and met and did ministry with and loved and loved him, the accumulative group of people who are true believers— up to this present time, you would know that Paul is living in a tension between Jew and Gentile. You would know that Paul is living in a tension between what he was and what he is. You would know that Paul is living in a tension between brethren who are just like he was and brethren who are just like he is. You guys follow that? That's the state of every believer when you're truly born again. You have a past and then you have a present. And there are aspects of your past that are hostile to your present. And you need to know that because that is part of God's appointment to sanctify you. And it's important to know. So this is where Paul is. So there are four things I want to say. You can write them down or you can just get the CD. First, Paul is dealing with the mixing of apples and oranges. That's the first thing that Paul is dealing with, the mixing of apples and oranges. The way that I would call it is the danger of apples and oranges, the danger of apples and oranges. When we use that euphemism or that phraseology, what are we, what are we saying? We're saying that there are certain people who think one way and other people who think a different way. Or if you're talking with someone and you discover that you guys are talking past each other, you go, hey, we're talking apples and oranges. You're saying one thing, I'm saying something else. There's no way we can come to a point of agreement because our premises are different. The next proposition is the problem of fishing in two streams. Fishing in two streams. So I have two streams here. The problem of fishing in two streams. So um, you can't fish in two streams at the same time. You can fish in one stream, and when you're done fishing in one stream, you can fish in another. If you try to fish in two different streams going in two different ways, you're going to have two different outcomes. So here, what we may say is, Paul is fishing. There's no doubt about it. He's fishing. He's an evangelist. 
His goal is to see people saved. Doesn't he want his Jerusalem brethren to be saved? He wants them to know Christ. And so that is the chief reason for which he is going headwind into the belly of the beast. He wants to see them saved. Studying God's Word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.